Hello everyone, this is Jim Lucy, Editor-in-Chief for Electrical Wholesale and Electrical Marketing, with the October 11th edition of the Today's Electrical Economy podcast sponsored by Champion Fiberglass. The company began producing epoxy fiberglass conduit and fittings in 1988, and in 1989 developed the first conduit from epoxy resins that had flame resistance and low smoke characteristics. This met the most stringent codes and specifications. In today's broadcast, we'll be discussing the news of the day, including some new construction data from Dodge Data Analytics and a big increase in the acquisition activity, including that blockbuster deal where Rexel bought Mayor Electric Supply. And as always, we'll be reviewing some key weekly economic indicators that will give you a sense of where the electrical economy may be headed in the coming weeks. These stats are initial unemployment claims at the state level, rail freight car traffic, the Baker Hughes rig count, oil prices, and copper prices. Our thanks again to Champion Fiberglass for once again sponsoring the Today's Electrical Economy Series of Podcasts for 2021. We're delighted to be working with Champion. For the week ending October the 2nd, the advanced figure for seasonally adjusted unemployment claims was 326,000, a decrease of 38,000 from the previous week's revised level. The national unemployment rate fell too, this to 5.2% in August according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's a 0.2% decrease from July. Now let's take a look at the states that had the biggest decreases in their unemployment claims for the week ending October 2nd. This was some of the biggest decreases we've seen since we've been following this data from during the depths of the pandemic. California led the list with a decline of 10,513. There were over a dozen other states that also had decreases of more than 1,000 claims. They included the District of Columbia, 3,951, Michigan with a decline of 3,247, Texas had a decline of 3,099. Missouri had a decline of 2,851. Oregon was down 857 fewer claims. Maryland was down also 1,800. For them, 1,807 claims. Nevada was down 1,736 claims. New York had a nice decrease of 1,682 claims. Hawaii was down 1,566 claims. We saw Illinois drop their claims by 1,374. Ohio, also in that 1,300 range with a decline of 1,339. Florida was down 1,204 claims, and Minnesota was down 1,122 claims. We also saw some notable declines in the states that had increases in claims of more than 1,000. In fact, there were only two states that were over 1,000. Pennsylvania had 1,615 claims more than the previous week. Virginia was up 1,031. All the other states with any sort of discernible increase in claims with Tennessee, 422 more claims, Iowa, just 112 more claims, and Alaska checked in with this 108 more claims. One of the more interesting leading economic indicators for the overall U.S. economy is freight rail traffic. It's a measure of the amount of raw materials and finished goods being shipped by rail. The best source for this data is the American Association of Railroads, or AAR. It publishes this data weekly. Their weekly rail traffic for the week ending the 2nd of October was 515 1,849 carloads in intermodal units, which is down 0.5% compared with the same week last year. On an overall basis for the month of September, U.S. railroads were down. Combined U.S. carloads and intermodal unit originations in September were 2,496,209. That's down 1.9% or 47,459 carloads in intermodal units from September 2020. AER Senior Vice President John T. Gray said in the press release, Rail intermodal unit is clearly not what it has been and could be. 
Keeping intermodal terminals functioning smooth and at full capacity depends on consistent freight outflows to make room for new freight inflows. Unfortunately, due to the limited availability of downstream truck and warehouse capacity, that's not happening right now with predictable impact on the rail intermodal volume. There's no single solution to this problem, but railroads are bringing intermodal yard capacity back online to increase storage availability, as well as working with customers and truckers to accelerate container pickup, among other efforts. At the same time, railroads continue to see improvements in carload business with a variety of industrial goods, including steel, paper, crushed stone, and chemicals showing continued progress in September. These increases that Gray was referring to can be seen in the freight categories shown here in this slide where we're looking at petroleum products was the only freight category showing a year-over-year -year decline at minus 3.6 percent. Metallic ores and minerals were up big with a 27.2 percent increase. Coal also had a double-digit increase and it checked in at 11.9 percent. If you track the oil market, you're probably familiar with the Baker Hughes rig count which tracks the oil and gas rigs that are operating. The data is available by state, basin, or nationally at www.rigcount.bakerhughes.com. This slide gives you an idea of the largest oil and gas deposits. It gives you a sense of just how big the large plays are in Texas and in Oklahoma. Also, how big an area the Marcellus gas region covers in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and parts of West Virginia. No real big changes with the Baker Hughes rig count uh, this week. Again, it's just a lot of very small incremental changes that are headed generally in the right direction. The chart at the top of the slide shows you just how much all of the drilling activity is accounted for by the state of Texas. At the top of the list, you've got the Permian Basin, which by itself accounts for 50% of all the U.S. activity. Throw in the Eagle Ford Basin, and you have 58% of all active drilling rigs in the country. As a total, the U.S. had 520 active rigs. Permian Basin had 263 active rigs. Eagle Ford was in there at 37 active rigs, and the Haynesville area was in there at 47 active rigs. Oil prices have been cruising over the past week, and they were headed up to $80 a barrel for the, during the week of October 4th through the 8th. That's almost double where they were just a year ago. Economists like to call copper pricing Dr. Carpe because it's the leading indicator for future economic activity. Copper is used in so many industries, and construction is among the leaders because of its use in wiring cable and copper plumbing pipe. Economists are watching copper prices right now as closely as a sign of inflation. Copper prices remain in that $4 per 20 cent per pound range. They're up about $2 per pound from the depths of the pandemic back in March of 2020 and have been over $4 a pound since this past February. Port delays have certainly been in the news recently. There's no relief in sight. According to an NBC interview with the Port, and, Port of Los Angeles, June Soroka, 76 ships were waiting for up, for up to 10 days each. That's over 500,000 containers waiting to try to get into the port. He said that the port has been taking in 18 ships a day and unloading them, but that's and that's double what it was before the pandemic. But it's still quite a delay for goods of all kinds coming in from the Pacific Rim ports. Soroka emphasized that the delays can be attributed in part to the lack of truck drivers that take the containers out of the port. Now let's take a look at a good leading indicator for construction activity, the Dodge Momentum Index for September. The Dodge Momentum Index gained 11% in September to 164.9. That's up from the revised August reading of 148. The Momentum Index, which is issued by Dodge Construction Network, is a monthly measure of the initial report for non-residential building projects and planning. They have been shown to lead construction spending for non-residential buildings by up to a year. 
The commercial planning component increased 13% in September, while the institutional component rose 8%. According to the press release, non-residential building projects entered plan stage, a solid entering the planning stage, entered a solid recovery in early 2021 as the economy began to, to awaken from the pandemic and do slumber. Entering the summer, those gains turned to losses as higher material prices and shortage of labor and goods weighed on the construction sector. The strength in projects entering the planning was widespread during the months, Dodge said, with most sectors moving higher. Excluding healthcare, which did experience a downshift in the dollar value of those planned projects in recent months. On a year-over-year -year basis, the Dodge Momentum Index was 30% higher in, than in September of 2020. That's a real nice jump. The commercial component was up 32% while the institutional planning was up 25%. One of the interesting things I always like to look at in the Dodge Momentum Index is the number of projects of over 100 million that got started during the month. Uh, this past month, there were 17 that hit that 100 million mark. The largest commercial projects were the $500 million Star Office Building in Los Angeles, a $250 million office project in Cambridge, Mass. On the institutional side, there, were the, there was the first and third phase of a lab facility in Boston valued at 450 million and $225 million respectively. On the electrical market news front, the biggest deal was the Rexel's acquisition of Meyer Electric Supply. It added over a billion dollars in sales to Rexel and beefs up its coverage in the Southeast, Texas, and Western Pennsylvania. Meyer was ranked number 11 in Electrical Wholesaling's Top 150 listing. It was a giant by any measure, but there were also two other interesting acquisitions announced over the past week as well. Wind Supply purchased the Hicks family's HESCO in Atlanta, and Joe Coel made its second acquisition of the year, Advanced Technical Sales in Pompano, Florida. Uh, for HESCO, David Hicks had sold DH Supply to Rexel several years ago, and he started HESCO up a number of years later. It's been a busy year for the acquisition. The, the largest distributors acquired this year, in addition to Mare, are Rumsey Electric, Houston Wire and Cable, Springfield Electric being acquired by Sonopar, Electric Supply of Tampa being acquired by Supply Chain Equity Partners, Wildcat Electric Supply being acquired by CED, and Shingle and Gip Automation being acquired by Graybar Electric. When I heard about the Mayor Electric Supply acquisition, it made me think of just how many other deals Rexel has made over the years. There's been some huge acquisitions for sure. In, most, in the most recent years, They've acquired uh, Platt Electric Supply, that was in 2012, GE Supply 2006, Branch Group in 2000, and Canada's Westburn in, two, in 2000. The table in the slider lists some of the other larger distributors that they have purchased, and they include Roland Appel in Ohio, Monroe Distributing in Massachusetts, Capital Lighting and Supply in Connecticut and New England, you had Active Supply in Orlando, Braid Electric in Nashville, Maverick Electric Supply in Dallas. We have a database at Electrical Marketing, and from what we have been able to find, over close to 30 acquisitions that Rexel has made in the U.S., Canada, and around the world in just in the past 30 years. That wraps up for things for today's podcast. I'll be heading to the Nika Show next week, and I'll have a report for you on that in our next broadcast, which will be on the 25th. Special thanks again to the folks from Champion Fiberglass for sponsoring the Today's Electrical Economy podcast series in 2021. Please give me a shout if there's any other type of economic data you'd like us to cover in these podcasts. As I mentioned, our next presentation will be on Monday, the October 25th. Until then, be good, be healthy, and look forward to talking to you then.